Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this awesome Sunday. We thank you for um, just creating a, a platform for us to be together, uh, even though it has to be virtually. God, I pray for Matthew as he comes. I pray that he will speak the truth and will be an extension of, of you. Um, God, I thank you that our ears are ready to hear. I thank you that our hearts are ready to receive. I thank you that um, that you will just bring up new things for us um, as Matthew uh, is bringing the word. Uh, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody, and good morning, Christ City Church. I'm grateful that you've uh, joined us this morning. Wherever it is that you're tuning in from, uh, I have been praying for this moment. We're praying that, that as we gather in this virtual way, that God would meet us wherever it is that we are, in our homes or living rooms or dining rooms or just even on the way, that, that God would meet us and that by the power of the Spirit that God would say something to us and that God would do something in us, even in this moment, that, that, that somehow by the, by the power and presence of the Spirit that we would be shaped in these moments that we have together online. Now, I realize that may be a lot to ask of a, of a live stream on the internet, but I'm just trusting that the same God that makes streams in a desert can take live streams on the YouTube and speak to us and minister to us and remind us of who we are and who we are in Him. So I've prayed that even in this exact moment, the Spirit would meet us wherever it is that we are. We would sense God saying something to us and that we would sense the Spirit doing something in us. Uh, last week, Pastor Justin uh, launched us into a new journey into the Beatitudes um, out of Matthew 5. The, the Beatitudes is a section of Scripture that's found in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. And it's a smaller section of a larger sermon that Jesus preached that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes are a section of that sermon. The Beatitudes, they're they a central uh, part of Jesus' teaching. And, and, you know, I don't know if how you rank like the teachings of Jesus, or even if that's an appropriate thing to do. Uh, but assuming that you could, and assuming that it was okay, then the Beatitudes, they're like at the top of the list of anything that Jesus taught. They're like greatest of all time, goat level teachings of Jesus. And, and the reason is because in the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing is he's identifying the characteristics of God's kingdom. 
He's, he's, he's identifying the ethics of God's kingdom. He's extending an invitation into God's kingdom. And, and he's identifying the traits that are to mark God kingdom people. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, he's saying, you want to know what the kingdom is like? Well, it's a place where the poor and the meek and the merciful, those, those people, they are the prince and princesses of this kingdom. The first are last, the, the strong are weak, the loud are silenced. The peacemakers rather than the war makers, they are the ones who are the heirs of the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is like. But not just what is the kingdom like, but also the ethics of the kingdom. Jesus is outlining uh, what kingdom ethics are, where, what are the ordering virtues of the kingdom. How are the kingdom's citizens to live in relationship to one another and in relationship to the world? The Beatitudes speak to that in their simplicity. Jesus uh, is saying to us that citizens of God's kingdom, they are to demonstrate mercy. They are to work for peace, aligning themselves with the poor and the persecuted and those that are mourning. They're to be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I would say again, uh, just to remind us that in the original language, the Greek word for righteousness and justice are the same word. And so citizens of the kingdom of God are to be a people who ache for and hunger for and thirst for and work for God's justice and God's righteousness. And Jesus as he's describing his kingdom, it's understood that Jesus is also describing the lives of those who would claim identity with this kingdom. The life of one who follows Jesus ought to bear these marks, for they are the marks of Jesus' own life. Now, I want to say this with as much humility as I can. It is, it is never mine to judge the faith or the salvation of another person. We are, we are all on journeys of faith and in different places and in, at different waypoints on that journey. And yet, if someone claims to follow Jesus and claims Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, that Jesus is the one upon whom their hopes and their faith rests, but they don't seek to intertwine their lives with the lives of those uh, who are poor, but rather actively oppress the poor. They are not meek, but they despise the meek and lowly. They hunger for self-righteousness and rejoice in the brutality uh, uh, that denounces mercy or who otherwise live in a manner contrary to the Beatitudes, then it may well be right to say that theirs isn't the kingdom of God, but, but theirs is a citizenship in another kingdom, in another empire. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing the lives of those in his kingdom. And he's extending an invitation, an invitation to join in this kingdom. He's saying, look, if, if you have felt the sting of the world, if you've been last or been left out or have been denied or been grieved, been the victim of violence of any and all kinds, then this kingdom, it's for you. It's especially for you. Jesus in his body and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, he created this kingdom for you. The next few moments, I want to focus on the second beatitude that's named in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, quick confession, uh, I've, uh, I've been avoiding this sermon uh, because... 
part of a sermon preparation is working the message into your own soul. Uh, The task of a preacher isn't simply to disappear into one's study and then emerge with some word from the Lord, uh, but it's to disappear into the scriptures and to let that word stir in one's life. And often that task requires one to excavate one's own life and soul. And it's on this point that I've not wanted to walk down this road. Last weekend, I was in Dallas for a few days visiting family. And as uh, per D.C. health requirements, I'm now self-quarantining for a couple of weeks. And so I'm recording this message ahead of Sunday. When I got back to Dallas, um, every time I go to Dallas, almost, there's a stretch of road that I have to travel. It's a section of Highway 30. It's just outside of downtown. It crosses the Trinity River before it dips down into the Oak Cliff neighborhood. And just on the north side of the freeway on a hill, there sits uh, the Methodist Hospital of Dallas. It's, it's easy to spot because um, the hospital has a giant cross on top of the building. And uh, just to make sure the cross and the hospital, they have outlined the cross with neon blue lights. Uh, which gives the building a bit of whimsy that's mixed with just just this ominous appearance. And so it looks like it could either be a church or it could be like a Jesus casino. We're just not sure. I think I've got a picture of it that I'll show you. Uh, Eight years ago, my dad passed away in that hospital. Uh, I find some humorous comfort in the fact that my dad spent his last days in a hospital that had neon lights. Uh, There's probably something fitting about that, knowing how he lived. During my trip, uh, when I was there, uh, I had to go through some of my dad's things. Uh, I had to do a bit of organizing and cleaning up and figuring out what to keep and what to store and what to let go of. And so for me, this this week has uh, been a good bit of mourning. Mourning a loss that was first felt eight years ago, uh, but still carries an ache, even though the sting isn't as it was in those first moments or in that first year. It has felt as though this year uh, has been one long morning. We weren't but three weeks into this year when an American icon, Kobe Bryant, tragically died. And the torrent of, of tragedies has continued to break against our collective lives and hearts through 2020. The rising death toll brought upon us by COVID over a million globally and nearly 215,000 here in the U.S. have passed away. Two days ago in our own city, in Washington, D.C., we recorded our 150th homicide, a 17% rise over last year's rate. In February, Ahmaud Arbery was killed in a racially motivated murder. In March, Breonna Taylor was gunned down in her own home by Louisville police. And in May, George Floyd was strangled to death by a police officer who had his knee on Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes while life was extinguished from his body. And each incident, and so many others that could be named, they lay bare the brutal truth that African Americans face oppression, indignities, inhumanities, marginalization, and violence at the hands of the American empire. And these are not the marks of the kingdom of God, but the characteristics of the kingdom of Satan. And it's precisely why Black Lives Matter is a gospel issue. There have been other deaths that we've had to face this year. Not only deaths that we've had to face collectively, but deaths that many of you have had to face individually. 
deaths of careers or of incomes, deaths of school years and education, deaths of dreams and plans, deaths of, of marriages, deaths of parents and grandparents, and for some of you, deaths of your children. It's just seemed like one long morning this year. The, the thing that's unsettling about the Beatitudes is how each one begins. Each Beatitude begins with the word blessed. The word in Greek is makarios, and, and other ways to translate it are happy or joyful, but it doesn't quite capture the full meaning of the word because each of them is a state of being that's tied to the anticipation of God's deliverance of humanity because of what God is doing and has done and will do. But because of that, there's makarios. There can be joy. There can be happiness. There can be blessedness. And side note, this is actually why uh, they're called the Beatitudes. It's from the Latin translation of the word blessed. sunt, meaning blessed. Transliterated into English, Beatitude. And, and so the name stuck. Matthew 4 says, blessed are those who mourn. It's a striking juxtaposition, as are all of the Beatitudes. We don't think of mourning. I don't think of mourning or grief or loss as blessing, as joy, nor as happiness. When a life passes from this life to the life to come, we don't often label it as blessing as we're going through it. To the contrary, we think of it as, we think of it as loss. We pray against it most times. For after that loss comes sadness and grief and mourning. For the most part, I don't think our culture knows what to do with mourning and grief. I know there are exceptions, but in ancient cultures, um, those that were grieving, they would go to the center of town and they would, they would tear their clothes, they would pour ashes on their head and they would wail. They would, they would indicate that something was lost or torn, that something of utter value and of love in our lives had been lost and in the ashes we, we, we were missing it, we were groaning for it, we, we longed to have it back. In our culture, we, we sing casseroles and we set up meal trains. I have a friend, uh, Mike Stavland. Uh, Mike pastors in Northern Virginia, and Mike ministered to me deeply when my dad passed away, and, and much of what I've come to think and believe about grief and about mourning, I've, I've learned from Mike. Whether it's, the, whether it's grief that comes from personal experience or the collective grief that we feel because of violence and loss that occurs in the madness of our world, I'm not sure that we ever get over our grief because it doesn't seem that we were meant to be separated from those that we love, either by death or distance or circumstances. Grief is what takes place. It's what takes the place of being together. It's what takes up residence in our lives when something or someone is lost. Grief moves in. And I think that's why in the book of Revelation, God describes the regathering of all that's been lost and all that's been, that's been separated. We, we are gathered up by God in a great banquet, and there's not distance anymore. There's only union and reunion. 
I think that's why so many of Jesus' parables uh, are about reunions, of lost things found, of broken things restored, and relationships mended. I think that's why so many of Jesus' miracles are about dead things coming back to life. Dead limbs, dead eyes, dead skin, dead friends coming back to life. Because I think that grief is actually what ties us to the thing that we've lost. Where there was once union and where there was once relationship with my dad, there's, there's now mourning and grief. And that mourning ties me to my dad and to the hope that in the end, God will make all things new, including parents. I think grief is one of the emotions that animates our protests and our pursuits of, of justice and racial justice. It's one of the emotions that gets stirred when faced with the death of justice and the constant reminders that things are not as God intended. Grief can tie us to hope in those moments. I don't want to get over my grief for my dad or for injustice because it ties me to hope that God is setting things right. However unpromising that truth may appear in the short term, under the lights of some neon cross, I still want to grieve because it anchors me to hope. Fourteen years ago, my friend Mike, he, he lost his four-month-old son. In the aftermath of that loss, Mike began writing. And he wrote a memoir about what that first year after his loss was like and how grief could give way to hope. Um, one of the things that he does is he paints a picture of maybe not rending his clothes and pouring ashes on his head, but what his public display of grief would look like. He says what he'd like to do is he'd like to find a, a modest-sized house on a, on a busy road, a house that looks like the kind of house that children draw when you tell a child, hey, draw a house, and you give them a piece of paper and crayons. And what he'd like to do is he'd like to get that house and he'd like to begin taking it apart. He doesn't want to sort of demolish it by violence. There's no sledgehammers, no explosives or wrecking balls or anything like that. He just, he just wants to take his old framing hammer and a saw and maybe a crowbar and then piece by piece he would gently dismantle that house. He writes every single shingle, every tile, every casing, every fixture, every pipe, every cabinet, and every wire, every door, every floorboard, brick by brick, board by board, nail by nail, it would be a labor of love and of devotion to take the house apart and methodically move it into neat piles in the front yard. He goes on to say, and then, and then after months of patient labor, I just leave the big empty space for everyone to see. They'd drive by on that busy roadway on their way to work or wherever they travel, and they'd say to themselves, there was something valuable there before, but, but now it's lost. It's not there. And people would feel that something is missing. Mike goes on with his imagination, and he says, eventually over time, I'd, I'd stop by with a truck and, and I'd haul pieces of it away. I imagine myself arriving in the morning and putting pieces into the truck and hauling them off every day, every day, truckload after truckload until the lot was completely empty. 
And then I'd let the weeds and the trees and the greenery reclaim the space for a while. I'd let it be wild. Then a couple of years later, I'd come back and I'd clean it up just a little bit. I'd mow the grass. I'd, I'd clear out the brush. And I'd make it into a park so people could enjoy it. And it would be empty and full all at once. I think Mike captures what grief and mourning are like. It ties us to the things that we ache for and love for and long for and desperately want again or for the first time and into the empty and full spaces of our mourning. Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus, Jesus is our comfort. He is our source of comfort in all of its forms. Comforts from friends and from family, comforts from sunsets and sunrises, comforts in the form of simple beauties and casseroles. He is the one who holds us in uh, his arms of love and who holds us in the grief that ties us to those that we love and that we miss and the things that we long for, the characteristics of the kingdom that seem so elusive in this moment. He holds us there. There's this image that comes from Matthew 5, but it comes from a few verses earlier, just before Jesus preaches. At the beginning of the passage, it's, it's an image that that meets us, and that meets us in all of the Beatitudes. But I think this one especially. In Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after, he sat down, and his disciples came after him. Then he began to speak. Jesus went ahead of the disciples. And then the disciples, they came after him. Jesus goes ahead of us too. Jesus is always ahead of us. He's ahead of us in our grief and in our mourning. He he mourns before we do. He grieves before we do. He is ahead of our pain and he's ahead of our sorrows. And just as he sat on that hill on the bank of Galilee and said to those followers, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He is sitting on the of our grief and when we arrive there he can hold us and say to us I'm here for you and I am your comfort that's the point of the cross and that's the hope that we have in the resurrection that Jesus is the man of sorrows and he's also the prince of our peace he carries all of the grief of the world yet rises from it And he's inviting us to dwell now and in the age to come in his kingdom where the grief-stricken are comforted with a comfort that comes from God and is embodied in God's children. Church, this isn't the easiest of words, frankly. It's not the easiest for me to preach or to believe some days. And I'm a bit at a loss at how best to end this message. But an image that has helped me this week is to imagine myself in that park that Mike Stavlin talked about, the park that's 
It's just an empty lot where a home once stood, where a love was once fostered. So I've imagined myself in that part. And that's that's what I want you to imagine yourself. That's where I want you to imagine yourself, just right now. Maybe it's helpful to close your eyes or just to sit for a minute, but I want you to imagine yourself in a park that's it's both empty and full. I want you to imagine yourself there on the bench in that place of grief that ties you to a loss. Are you there? Now I want you to imagine that Jesus is on that bench with you. Lingering with you as you mourn, as you grieve, and that Jesus is comforting you. Maybe he's, maybe he's telling you, I'm here, child. Maybe he's not saying anything as you weep, or as you wail, or as you rock back and forth, but he's just, his presence is there, he's saying, I see you. Maybe he's got a casserole. Or maybe he's just got tissues. Or maybe he uses his sleeve, I don't know. But whatever shape comfort needs to take for you, Jesus is with you. He is your comfort. He is the one that will hold you. Now and always. Let me pray for us. God of comfort. God of love, God that meets us in our sorrow, I pray that in this moment, whoever is watching online, God, that you would meet them there. That you would be saying something to them. In spirit, that you would be doing something in them a tender work, an experience of your comfort to those that are mourning for all of the losses that we've experienced this year and in these years. God, I pray that even just now that they would have a sense, God, that you are with them and for them and comforting. And that we would know that in your kingdom, blessed are those that mourn. For they are comforted. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our benediction, it's a psalm that's been ministering to me this week as I've prepared. It comes from Psalm 112. This is what it says. Verses six through nine, surely the righteous, the just will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look on triumph of their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn, their 
their dignity will be lifted high in honor. God, I pray that Christ City would experience this, that they would have no fear of whatever bad news is ahead, that they would be steadfast, trusting in you, O God, who comforts. And God, that we would anchor ourselves in the truth that our righteousness, which is your righteousness in us, your justice, would endure forever. God, I pray this blessing and this benediction over those gathered in this place and in this space. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, have a great week. Uh, Be safe, be blessed. We love you dearly.